Hey, good morning, Evergreen. How's everyone today? Turn with me to Luke chapter 6 in your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have one, go ahead and throw your hand up, and uh, one of our ushers will get you one. So, uh, eighth grade, I I was in a Bible class. Now, uh, my Bible class's teacher, his name was Mr. French, and uh, my friends and I, we had figured out a way to cheat the system. So every Friday, we would, uh, we would read these little magazines called God's World News. Anyone? Besides my sister, familiar with God's World News. <laughs> okay, nobody in the 8 a.m. either. Um, God's World News was like a mock version of Christian Time magazine for kids. And so it was like uh, any of the current events happening in... Um, in the world that had to do with Christians. And uh, uh, every Friday we would read one of those and we would take a 10 question uh, multiple choice quiz. And so how my friends and I figured out to cheat the system is I had a buddy who was really smart who was in the class an hour before me. And so every Friday he would write down all the answers for me and pass them on to me, okay? And uh, yeah, cheating in Bible class, there you go. (laughs) So uh, every Friday I was getting 10 out of 10, Week after week, my teacher was recognizing it. I was feeling good. I was on cloud nine. And uh, it was all until this one fateful Friday when I walked up, I grabbed the sheet of paper off of his desk. Pompously, I walked back to my table. I pulled out my cheat sheet. I wrote down my answers. I stretched a little bit. I pretended like I was really struggling on a few. You've all been there, right? Maybe not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I go and I turn it in and, and uh, my teacher says, okay, uh, I hope you did as well as you've been doing on this. I said, yeah, this one was easy. And I uh, walked away. This is new because uh, he showed, he ended up showing me mercy. My parents are here and um, they haven't heard this story. So, <laughs> um, so uh, I sat down and he says, Alex, can you come here to the desk? And I was like, okay, that's never good when you hear that. It's even worse when he says, can we go for a walk out in the hallway? (laughs) At this point, my hands are sweating. I'm nervous. And right off the bat, I just say, okay, I cheated. I admit it. I confess. (laughs) Word vomit all over. (laughs) And he laughed and he says, I know you did because you grabbed last week's test and you put all the answers for this week on it. Not super smart. But in that moment, Mr. French exposed something in me, right? I loved getting the good marks on the test, but I didn't really care if I'd actually learned anything or if I had actually put the hard work into studying. So he exposed that in that moment, I was a false cheater and I didn't deserve the grades I got. Fortunately, like I said, he gave me mercy and grace because I confessed. And uh, long story short, Parents, that's what happened. So um, today we're going to read a story out of Luke. And uh, Jesus is encountering uh, a group of religious people who are known as the Pharisees. And he's exposing something inside of their hearts. Their outward action looks great, but inwardly there's something twisted and wrong. And in order to find that out, we're going to have to read the story. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I hope you're already there because I've told you to go there three times. Um, Luke chapter 6, it starts off with the words, One Sabbath. 
Um, okay, we're going to stop already. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that laugh. I appreciate it. Um, Luke chapter, uh, excuse me, one Sabbath. It, when I was studying for this text, I realized that there are times when we drastically misunderstand other cultures. For example, when I say I'm fine, what do you all think? I'm fine. I'm not doing great. I'm not doing bad. I'm kind of doing neutral, I guess. I went to Africa a couple years ago, specifically Zimbabwe. And uh, after my 36-hour flight, I met the first person that you meet in any foreign country, which is... Customs, yes, exactly. It was the customs agent. Now, many of you know they're not always the most happy people. If you're a customs agent, I apologize. Maybe you are a really happy customs agent. But uh, they weren't super friendly. And so I do what anyone does when you're kind of feeling awkward and meeting someone for the first time. You say, hi, how are you? Right? He responded with, I'm fine. Stamped my passport and handed it to me. I thought, okay, maybe he's just having a bad day, right? Uh, I thought that until I continued to walk through and I met my host home, which was a group of local pastors and people who took care of orphans in, um, in Zimbabwe. And they're jumping up and down and they're hugging me and they're smiling. And I say, oh, so good to meet you. How are you? And they say, I'm fine. At that moment, I'm confused. <laughs> And so I get in the car and I'm driving down the road and I'm thinking, okay, what is going on? I lead over to my buddy, Andrew, and I say, why is everyone just fine here? <laughs> like what's going on? And he laughed and he said, I'm fine in Zimbabwe means I'm wonderful. I'm great. I'm doing fantastic. And at that moment, I realized that we're both speaking English, right? And we're saying the same words and I understand what he's saying, but the meaning is drastically different because of the culture that they're a part of. And so when we read scripture, we can kind of at times forget that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He was a Jewish rabbi. His contemporaries were predominantly Jewish. They had figures of speech. They had certain days of the week that were important. There was all sorts of things that took place that for us maybe today we'll miss. So the Sabbath is one of those things. What is it? Exodus chapter 20, you don't have to go there in your Bibles. I think it's going to pop up on the screen like magic. Um, Exodus chapter 20, God is giving the Ten Commandments. Uh, maybe you are familiar with Charlton Heston um, and the stone tablets and, you know, I don't know what he says because I've never seen the movie, but um, I've heard it's good. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I know what Exodus 20 says, and God is giving Moses his 10 commandments, which are really the 10 ways, if you could sum up how to be uh, a genuine, have it, how to have a genuine human existence the way God intended, these would be the 10 things to do. And number four says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He goes on for the next four verses to explain exactly what the Sabbath day is, how to keep it holy, and why. And here, let me sum it up for you. Let me give you the Alex translation, um, which we all know can be really good sometimes. The, uh, how it goes is God says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you are to work, and on the seventh day you are to rest. You're to do no work, no labor, no toil for that seventh day. And not just you, but any of your servants, any of the people that work for you, any of the foreigners residing in the land of Israel, and any of your animals. Nobody's allowed to do anything on the Sabbath day. 
And then he goes on to say why. He says, for Yahweh creator God, he points back to Genesis 1 and 2, created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and on the seventh day he rested. Now, if you were the creator of the universe, you could speak and the laws of gravity came into existence, do you think you need to take a break? (laughs) Probably not. But God does something in Genesis. Before sin enters the picture, before humanity is pulled apart from God, he models what it means to rest for all of us. And he steps back and he looks at his creation and he says, it is very good. So what we learn is that the Sabbath was a gift given to humanity from God. A day to rest, a day to be, and a day not to do. In fact, we learn as Jesus goes on, we learn exactly how we obey that rule. So, let's go back to the text with that in mind about the Sabbath. Jesus says, or excuse me, the text says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So we're introduced to a crew of people called the Pharisees. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about them a little bit. But uh, where did they come from? You know, growing up in church, I was always taught that the Pharisees were the bad guys, right? They were always, they're almost used as like a bad word (laughs) for many of us. We use it as a synonym for hypocrite, right? But where did they come from? What was their story of origin? How did they get to this point in the story? And in order to understand that, we have to go on a little journey through history. I tend to like to do that. I hope all of you are okay with that. So let's strap on our thinking caps for a minute. 330-ish B.C., Alexander the Great conquers the entire known world in about 10 years. Now, besides having a great name, he was a little bit crazy. (laughs) He conquers the world with the sword, but he also decides that if he's going to hold on to his rule over those people, he was going to have to bring his culture, which was Greek culture. Now, so every time he conquered a land, he would bring his culture. And that process was called Hellenization. Now, Greek culture included Greek worship of their many pantheon of gods. It included dress and culture and style and philosophy, all of these things. And Alexander's thought and idea was if the whole world was Greek, then he would maintain their rule forever. Alexander conquers Judea, which is the place where the, the Jews are. And uh, he um, dies shortly thereafter. And in order to maintain his rule, he splits up his kingdom to his generals. Okay? Now, he has one general. His name is Seleucus. And Seleucus is in charge of the region of Judea. Okay? Are we following the story? Right? Maybe? Thank you for the head nod. Okay, Um, so Seleucius is in charge of the the Judean area, and he does not like Jewish people. Now, when Hellenism creeps into Judea, there were two separate groups of people. You have the group of Jews who conformed to Hellenism, and they became Greek, essentially, in dress, in worship, in their culture. And then you had the other Jews who went the opposite extreme, and they were called the Hasidim. 
Now the Hasidim were like, that, that word means pious ones. They were the most religious, fervent followers of Yahweh. And they refused to let Greek culture infiltrate their way of thinking and living. So two groups of Jewish people. Now, Seleucius, he has a son, and his name is Antiochus, and he goes by the title Epiphanes, okay? Epiphanes is, uh, he's a megalomaniac. He, that, that title means the revelation of God among men. So he, he tells everyone, I am God revealed to everyone. Humble guy, right? So Antiochus Epiphanes hates the Jewish people. He lines the streets with crosses, and he crucifies the Hasidim. And uh, at the height of his persecution against the Jewish people, especially the fervent ones, he decides he wants to eradicate everything that the Jewish people hold on to. So he goes to the Hebrew temple in Jerusalem. He builds a statue of Zeus and he sacrifices a pig on the altar. And at that point, if you were a Hebrew person, even if you were a Hellenistic Jew or a Hasidim, your heart would have been burning. That would have been like showing up this morning and finding out somebody had burned this building down. Something inside of you would be twisted and irked, but multiply that by 10. That's what the temple meant to them. So in 167, this group of Hasidim, they get together and they overthrow Antiochus. They reform the religious structure there and revival is birthed in Jerusalem and they've been set free. The Hasidim by the first century would go by the title Pharisee. So the Pharisees were heroes. The people who would be witnessing this story that's taking place would look at the Pharisees not as the bad guys, but as the good guys. They were the ones who understood the law. They were the the ones who understood scripture. They were the ones who lived a life that others wanted to be modeled after. But something has changed between the time in which they led a revival and the time in this story. And what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to expose exactly what that is. So in our story, we see that the Pharisees are claiming that Jesus is breaking some sort of law on the Sabbath. Now, remember the Sabbath said don't work, right? That was God's command. But the question for all of us is, well, what's work, right? So how how do we avoid breaking that law? Like, is walking work? Is driving work? Is, you know, what is work? And so what the Pharisees did, as as they were venerated in the culture, they decided they were going to create commentaries on it. They created 36 different categories on what it meant to work. And uh, let me give you some examples. For instance, they said that it was against the law to carry a burden on the Sabbath. I guess that leads to the question, what's a burden, Right? And they said that you could carry enough ink for one Hebrew letter, but not two, because two was a burden. Okay? They said that you could carry enough milk for one swallow, but not two, because that would be a burden. (laughs) So you get that what the Pharisees have done is they've built rules on top of rules on top of rules. And one of those rules was you can't pick grain, rub it between your hands, and eat the kernels on the Sabbath. Now that derived from an actual law that God said, don't harvest grain on the Sabbath. Their interpretation was, don't pick it and don't rub it between your hands and don't eat the kernels. 
It's interesting that their interpretation, their added rule, are you following me? We're good? Yes. Their added rule was actually contrary to what scripture said elsewhere, that you're supposed to leave the edges of your fields unplowed so that the poor among you can eat. Hmm. Further, Jesus goes on to tell a story. Let's read the text, verse three. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So here Jesus says that genuine human need is more important than following some sort of rule. Because he points to a story about King David when King David was famished. In fact, he probably would have died if he didn't have food. He shows up to a priest named Abiathar and he says, I'm hungry, what do you have to eat? And he says, all I have is these consecrated loaves. Now, Okay, that may not make sense to us. Again, because consecrated loaves, we probably don't have many of those anymore. Um, But they were supposed to be reserved only for the priests to eat. There was 12 consecrated loaves of bread. They represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, they were... Serum, they were, what's the word I'm looking for? They were more of a visual representation of something, of God's faithfulness, um, because they would bake the bread every single day. I don't need to go into that. But the point is, is that um, this bread they weren't allowed to eat, but the priest gives it to him, recognizing David's authority and his human need. So the law that governs that is love. God points to needing a human, a genuine human need over following some sort of rule. And then Jesus goes on and he makes a statement that's really, really, really pointed. And if you were living in the first century, and if you were a Jew, you would, the hair on the back of your neck would have stuck up. Especially if you were a Pharisee. This is what he says. For the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, When I read Son of Man growing up, I thought it meant he was the son of a man, right? But he's referring to something. What he's doing is he's pointing back to this uh, this line or these few lines in Daniel. And here, I'm going to hope it comes up here so we can read it. There it is. Okay, this is what he says. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man, He was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus says he's the son of man, that's who he's saying he is. Furthermore, who is Lord of the Sabbath? Clearly, there's only one person that can be. It's a person who made it, right? You can't be the Lord or the king of something if you didn't create it yourself. And Jesus affirms that I am this guy right here. All authority, all dominion, all power is mine. And I created the Sabbath. I was there in the beginning. So don't tell me what I should do. (laughs) 
That's pretty intense. And the text is so funny. The text doesn't like end at that point and everyone's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Let's go, right? This, Luke pairs it with another story because his point hasn't fully been, been made yet. So right now, all we have seen is that what the Pharisees are guilty of is adding rules on top of rules. And Jesus has pointed out that those rules are oppressing people. And that's not God's heart. And he says, let me show you what God's heart is because I am him. And this is what he does. Verse six, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. Now, I'm gonna put a picture up of a synagogue. There you go. Uh, There's some semblance to the room we're in right now, right? You can kind of imagine being there. If you see the row in the middle of the dirt, in the middle of the room, that's where Jesus would have been. And the people would have been all around him. So here's the, uh, the setting and the scene that's taking place. And Jesus is there and he's teaching. I don't know what he's teaching about. Um, but he is teaching. That's what the text says. And the text goes on. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. So Luke is now telling us about the audience. Okay? So we know that Jesus is there and he's teaching. Right? And we know that there's a guy with a shriveled hand who's there as well. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So we're also introduced to another crew of people that are in that synagogue. It's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, we already talked about the Pharisees. The teachers of the law were really just a sect removed from them, okay? Um, They were experts in the first five books of the Bible. So they could quote Leviticus 17, 19 like that. I don't know what that is, but they could, and uh, in verbatim, right? And so they knew what was being, um, what, what Jesus was talking about. So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law are there, and they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. Now, let's keep reading the story. Uh, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Could you imagine if I said, Brad, I want you to get up here and stand here. And then I just didn't say anything. (laughs) And Brad didn't say anything. And everybody was just looking at Brad and looking at me and looking at Brad. It'd be kind of an awkward moment, okay? Multiply that by 10 because in an honor-shame society like first century Judaism, if you had an infirmity, you didn't put it on display, You hid it. You covered it up. Because the people who were on display were the Pharisees, the religious people, the ones who had it all put together. And so Jesus has this guy come up in front of everyone and stand there. And he does this because he loves the Pharisees and he's teaching them something. He can read their mind, which is a bonus, right? And so he's doing, he's putting into action the previous story's teaching, okay? This is what he does. He looked around at them all, verse 10. In Mark's gospel, the same account of this story from a different point of view, it says that he was angry and deeply grieved. So when Jesus looks at the religious person who is trying to find a way to trap him and trying to prove that he's not from God, It makes him angry, especially because they're oppressing this guy who's hurting. 
That's Jesus' response in this story. He's angry, he's deeply grieved, and out of that, it says, the text says, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus heals the man out of anger and grief. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Again, in Mark's gospel, it says they began to discuss how they might kill Jesus. So, Jesus exposes the Pharisees. They are so bent on keeping their own rules that they genuinely do not care for others. Story's clear. By reading their minds... By giving examples, Jesus teaches them that. And you can tell that the Pharisees have not experienced Jesus and now have transformed, changed people, right? Their zeal for their own law, their own rules, has led them to want to kill Jesus. Murder was definitely against God's law. Isn't that interesting that when you can create your own set of rules on top of God's, if somebody breaks them, it can take you all the way to the point of wanting to murder them. That's what happens in the story. Okay, so now let's step back. Great story, good history lesson. What does that mean kind of for us today in 2013 uh, right now? My first thought is that um, Jesus exposes religion. Now, um, there are many times when people have asked me if I was religious, and I hate that question. (laughs) I hate that question because I don't want to be known or identified as a religious person. Now, here's why. Here's how I would define religion. If down here is where I am, and up at that table is where God's at, Religion is the steps and things that I do to get to God's good graces and his favor. I follow this rule, I follow this rule, I follow this rule. And if I don't, right, if I have a bad day, then I go backwards down the steps, right? Oh, I told a lie. I'm back down here. I should feel guilty. That's religion, It's a system designed to earn your way to God's grace. And I would tell you that the gospel of Jesus is the opposite of that. The gospel of Jesus is that God came down from heaven to earth. And that entire point of that message is grace. It's a gift given to you and me. There's nothing we can do to climb up the ladder to God. And so when people say, are you religious? I hate that feeling, right? It makes me feel weird because I don't want to be known as that. I want to be known as a person who walks with Jesus. And there's so much baggage that goes along with the title Christian. Am I right? Right? We hear that and you're like, are you a Christian? And I'm like, uh, kind of. (laughs) Like, I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be known as a person who just follows all these rules. Right? And there's a subculture within that that I don't always want to be associated with. And I think sometimes Jesus doesn't want to be either. So Jesus exposes what religion is. And the Pharisees, they are the example of religious people. 
They follow rules. They add rules on top of theirs in order to feel right with God. Do you do that? (laughs) The worst part and the best part about teaching the Bible is that if it doesn't come through my life first, then it doesn't mean anything for you. So as I'm reading this text, I'm realizing that, man, I am the Pharisees. I love beating up on religious people. In fact, when I got this text, I was really excited because I was like, I get to stand up here and beat up on religious people. Yeah. And then I realized by thinking that I was being a religious person. You can be religious about not being religious. Right? It's the same point. Now you're making rules and regulations about not following the rules. And when people do right? You get offended, you get upset, or you say they're not genuine Christians. And dare I say that's not God's heart either. That's what leads me to my next point. Jesus exposes our hearts. I've heard it said that Jesus doesn't care about what we do. He cares about who we are. And I only think that's half true. (laughs) I think what we do flows from who we are. And Jesus exposes right here that no matter what outwardly good things the Pharisees are doing, they don't matter because the reason that they're doing them is for themselves. In fact, Jesus says that when you do things to be seen by men pointing to the Pharisees, you've received your reward in full, right? You've received whatever you wanted from that. But its true meaning and value is of very little. So what Jesus looks at in you and I is not do we show up on time to church service? Do we know the right words to say? Do we know when to stand and when to sit? Right? Do we know the volume that music should be? Right? That's not necessarily what's important. What's important is who you are, your heart behind your actions because Religion, external actions, they're just that. But a heart change changes what you do, how you feel, and what you think. And when Jesus tells the story about doing good on the Sabbath, he's saying what's more important than following rules is to love this person. It's to treat them good. And so Jesus looks into their hearts. And remember, Jesus loves the Pharisees. He loves them. And the best way he can love them is to be brutally honest with them. Not mean, but honest. And point out, this is where you're off kilter. And so that's what he does. And I wonder if you or if I, I know where I need struggle with this, but I wonder about you. And and I wonder, are you looking into your life and are you asking Jesus, where's my heart off? Where am I treating people the opposite way that you would want me to treat them and where am I doing it in your name? Lastly, Jesus teaches us and he shows us the best possible way to live. It's when you combine your heart and your hands. When you live out of a genuine change and transformation Paul goes on in the New Testament, he says, only live up to who you already are or what you have already obtained. Meaning if you are redeemed in Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of God, so live up to it. 
That's a drastically different way to live than saying, I need to do this, 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 and this in order to make myself right with God. Jesus shows us what a genuine human existence looks like, the best possible way to live. And it's not following rules. It's about doing good. It's about loving others. And it's about getting close to Jesus. And essentially, we can respond one of two ways. We can respond in humility and we can say, okay, Jesus, I understand that I have a bent and a propensity to be like the Pharisees. Or we can respond like the Pharisees and go off and plot Jesus' murder. Meaning, not literally, but meaning we can respond in anger and we can say, that is not me, therefore I don't have to listen to that. And go off and continue to do the same things that we've been doing. 